You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, listeners, and good morning, Kathy. How are things? How was your week? All those questions well, I like to ask on a Tuesday morning. Things this morning are much better than they were last week. This week, I actually remembered to turn off my phone. So, ah, yeah. ha-ha, I get the nod to do that all the time, Alex. Yes, so... Ah. Progress was made. Progress was made at the other side of the glass. But actually, this uh, particular weekend was uh, really uh, relaxing for me. I spent some time in the kitchen uh, honing my craft, I suppose. Now, I gave you a bunch of recipes for smoothies and things. Have you ever tried them? I have not. Oh, my gosh. Not, Not yet. I'm going to work on that. That's a compliance issue, Alex. A compliance issue. I know. I should be fired. Ugh. Oh, well, uh, you know, you might not need the coffee to get you up and going if you try uh, those smoothie recipes. That's, that's quite possible. So what did you make in the kitchen? So I had prepared uh, uh, some trout with um, mm. those, uh, those little potatoes, mm-hmm. cut them in half and put some seasoning on them, had that with a, a big bowl of broccoli. And then I had uh, a bit of, uh, what was it? Yeah, chicken drumsticks with uh, cut up. But tomatoes, like the large ones, I quartered them and then I prepared that with a bit of lemon and uh, chopped up garlic and I put that all in the oven. And so that was nice. That was nice. Is this meal planning or was this just um, what you ate on the weekend? No, it was part of my meal planning. Mm-hmm. So I've got that chicken today for, for lunch. Excellent. And then people, that's how you meal plan. And then actually, I have to give credit to my sister, who's all the way in the UK, but she she made time to to uh, pr- prepare a meal plan for me because it was just too much for me with everything that goes on at work here. So I'm really privileged and blessed to have her. She she's here and she no, did this no, for you. No, no, she's a- across the pond in oh, the UK. So you but, skyped. Uh, yeah, or one something could, one like could that. say we 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 sent a, a few emails and a WhatsApp called a few times, but. Um, there was one yeah. other thing that I did. I was, um, what was it? Oh, you know what? I can't even Can't remember that can't, long ago, Alex. Remember. It's Tuesday already. The weekend's a, a, a haze. It, it's coming. It's coming for sure. Well, you can just jump in whenever you remember it. Speaking <laughs> of a haze, it's the last, uh, our last show of February. Where has, uh, someone was saying this morning, you know, January seemed to last for a long time. February's just gone by in a, in a beat. But um, yeah, it's our last no, it's show. Ratatouille. Sorry. Ratatouille. Out of nowhere. Ratatouille. Excellent. Good for you. That's great. Yeah, that was fun. That's great. I didn't. I haven't found this winter to be too bad, to be quite honest. I don't. I didn't find that January. January is usually the worst month. It's the longest. And but I've thought the summer, the winter has been very doable. Yes. Very this year very we've doable. Been, we've, we've been very lucky. Yeah. So uh, you know, I don't mind it at all. I mean, the, this weekend was absolutely gorgeous. So, so spring is on its way for sure. But uh, summer was definitely a lamb. So I think I'm very happy about that. Um, today's show is live. I think I might stop saying that, actually. Maybe I'll just say it when our, t- our shows are recorded. So I'm, I'm not going to say that anymore. I'm going to try and itch it out. Anyways, please do subscribe to our podcast. We are The Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. Shout out to my daughter's uh, boyfriend, George, who got me on uh, to put that on Spotify. I actually thought we were on Spotify, but we weren't. So now we are. 
You can also find our podcast on Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. And please do follow us. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC. And feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. And if anyone would like to call in today or on any show, we are 416-245-1534. I would really love to hear from uh, people who are listening. I'd love to build up that uh, that end of the show. So getting more and more listeners for sure. Now we just have to get them to not be so um, timid and call in. Because yes. we have a lot of great guests. And, you know, I, I try and prepare really well for all these shows and, and, and have great questions. And, but And there's no such thing as an as a inappropriate or silly question kind no, of thing, right? Because no. as listeners, and we have guests on for a reason, right? Yeah. And so we want them to be able to shed some light on on what is important what the topic is at hand well and truth be told you know i'm looking in one direction and trying to get a certain type of information out and i do try and and cover what i think might be interesting for people to hear but it's always great to get people um you know we get questions texted and emailed not so much texted but twittered twittered tweeted Tweeted, and uh, i'm a little tired but we get we get uh questions sent to us but you know don't be shy pick up the phone and call our guests are outstanding we wouldn't have them on the show unless they were outstanding so they're quite happy to to talk to you um but anyways since this is the last show in february and i guess i've been a little remiss this is heart health month and uh, I don't think we've talked about it, if memory serves me. I don't think we've talked about it at all this month. So You're correct in that Yeah, yes. I didn't think so. So we'll get this in uh, under under the gun before the, the month ends. And um, I thought that I'd take a little bit of different, of a different test to talk to you about because a lot of people don't know what the reading means in their blood pressure number. So uh, just a little bit for you. Heart disease is the leading cause, second leading cause of death in Canada. And it is prevalent not only in men, but in women. We tend to feel that uh, it's men that have the heart issues, but uh, that's not true. Uh, women need to be as diligent as men in heart care, especially women as we get older and the estrogen uh, starts to diminish. Um, we do need to be very, very careful of our heart. I'm working on something now. My cholesterol is, is high. Um, so I'm trying to work on getting that down. It's a lot to do with the medication that I take um, for uh, prevention, cancer prevention, and it's in my genes. So I'm very much in tune with heart health right now and trying to monitor it and uh, do the best I can with it. But the, um, the, the one way that you can very easily monitor one aspect of heart health is through your blood pressure. And you can take this regularly. I have a home monitor that I use. Um, I think you can go to the drugstores and get that done. And, and every time you go to the doctor, they do monitor your heart rate. Although, you know, when I go to the doctor, my heart rate is always higher. I get anxious, you know, when I go to the doctor, but um, I do monitor it daily. And uh, it's, it's a good, it's a good uh, indication of, of health. Blood pressure is important because the higher your blood pressure, the higher your risk of heart disease in the future. If your blood pressure is high, uh, what this means is it's putting extra strain on your arteries and on your heart to pump the blood through. And over time, this strain can cause the arteries to become thicker and less flexible or to become weaker. So it's a very important number. It tells a lot. Um, this is the test where the cuff is put on you and the pressure is put on your arm and it's slowly released. And then at the end, you're given a number. So I just thought Sorry, that I, I just had a yeah, quick ahead, question. If you, if, if you in your research came across uh, the impact of, of low pressure, Yes, low pressure is also a, an issue because if your heart isn't pumping enough, we're not getting the oxygen around. It can be very tired. You can get fatigued. Uh, you're not getting the oxygen to the places in your body that need it for uh, all the metabolic processes. So um, there is a heart, uh, low blood pressure is not good either. Mm-hmm. So there is that sweet spot Um you know, generally they say 120 over 80, which is the example I'm using now is is, is just normal. Um, but if your blood pressure goes, you know, quite low, quite below, you know, 100 on the, your top number, uh, it's something to monitor as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, okay. speak to your doctor mm-hmm. about for sure, because yeah, you need your heart, you need, I mean, the pump is pumping your blood and your blood transports so many important things around your body. So you do need that proper blood pressure. So there is a sweet spot. Definitely too low is, is an issue as well. 
So let's take that reading of 120 over 80. Um, the number on top, the 120, this is the, the value as your beating heart circulates blood through your body. So it's the pressure exerted on your arteries during the heartbeat, in the midst of a heartbeat. And this is called your systolic pressure. So the top number is systolic. Now the bottom number, and our example here is 80. So we're using 120 years of systolic, and uh, the diastolic number is 80. And this is the pressure that, and this is the number that a lot of people don't quite understand. This is the pressure that's exerted on your arteries between beats the diastolic pressure. So you've got the pressure as your heart is beating, and then you've got your blood pressure as the heart basically is at rest. And so those are what those two numbers mean. So uh, systolic over diastolic. So now you know. Now you can go and talk to your doctor about your blood pressure and have an understanding of what that reading means. Um, And just a few points to help reduce your risk of heart disease. Uh, smoking is a no-no, so be free of smoking in a smoking environment. Staying physically active, that is, that is really key. Um, and know your exercise points. You know, some people feel that they've got to, you know, go until they drop. That's not necessarily the best way of doing it, but you do need to keep active. And if being active is a brisk walk for you, then great. Start there, but get active. You know, I, I love, I walk around with just a tiny little Fitbit that I hook onto things. And, and it's a great way to keep track of, of your activity, your walking, your pace, and, you know, get your heart going at a good rate when you're walking. Um, and then of course, all the other activities that you can do to increase the strength from your cardio, uh, workouts, treadmill, running, eat a healthy diet uh, for heart health. You know, plant-based is is best. We want to stay away from high fatty foods. Um, so a healthy diet with lots of veggies in there, maintaining a healthy weight. This is very important. Uh, the more weight you have, the harder your heart has to work. And of course, limiting alcohol. Um, so these things are just general things to help you keep your heart healthy. Um, and as February comes, comes to a close, uh, we've done our due diligence here at the Health Hub and warning you about it and making you aware of taking care of your heart. Very, very important. So today's guest, Lydia Denworth, she's a returning guest, uh, one of my favorites on the show, Some, a woman to aspire to. She's done so much. And so, you know, writing books and, and writing articles and things like that is just such a huge accomplishment. And she does it with so much research behind her. It's, it's just admirable. And uh, we're lucky to have her. She's very, very busy right now promoting uh, her third book. Uh, I believe it's her third book. She can correct me if I'm wrong. And it's called The Evolution, Biology, and Extraordinary Power of Life's Fundamental Bond, Friendship. Lydia is a New York-based author, journalist, and speaker who writes about how we think, learn, and connect. Uh, Author of two other books, acclaimed books of popular science, and now this third book about friendship. She is a regular contributor to Scientific America and writes the Brainwaves blog for Psychology Today. Her work has also appeared in a wide range of national publications, including Newsweek, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, and Parents. So again, her new book is entitled, I believe it's been released, and again, Lydia will let us know if it has. I think it has been released, and it's called The Evolution biology and extraordinary power of life's fundamental bond. Uh, One of the treats um, that Lydia was able to give to me was a copy of the book. And uh, it's wonderful. And we're going to talk even about the cover of the book. So what we're going to talk about again, what is friendship? You know, how how would Lydia define friendship? Or what is the research shown? What is um, the impact, the health impact on uh, of us or for us by having friends and, and, you know, maybe the alternative not having friends? And um, how does friendship evolve and change as we go through our lives? So we will be back in a few minutes to talk to Lydia Denworth. Twenty years of age, I'm still looking for a dream. A war's already waged for my destiny. But you've already won the battle, and you've got great plans for me. Though I can't always see, 
couple dents in my fender. Got a couple rips in my jeans. Try to fit the pieces together. But perfection is my enemy. And on my own, I'm so clumsy. But on your shoulders, I can see. When I was just a girl, I thought I had it figured out. See, my life would turn out right, and I'd make it here somehow. But things don't always come that easy, and sometimes I would doubt. Oh, cause I got a couple dents in my fender, got a couple rips in my jeans. Try to fit the pieces together. But perfection is my enemy And on my own I'm so clumsy But on your shoulders I can see I'm free to be me And you're free to be You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Our number is 416-245-1534. If you would like to speak with Lydia and do follow us again on our social sites, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at The Health Hub RMC. Lydia, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. Hi, Kathy. It's great to be back. You're well on the road to promoting your book. How long have you been away from home? Um, actually, I am home today, oh, but nice. I'm leaving this afternoon when I hang up. I'm, I'm getting on a plane to San Francisco. I've just been home for four days, but I've been gone for most of February. So um, it has been very busy. And yes, the book came out about a month ago. About a month ago. Okay. January. Mm-hmm. And it's it's being received very well. So many, um, well, you just uh, tweeted out yesterday in People Magazine, it's been received extremely well. So great, great congratulations. It's such a such a thing to write a book, you know? It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> and you've written now, it's three, but this is your third book? It is three. It is correct, yes. Uh, I just, the only thing I wanted to correct is that, so the title is actually just Friendship. And oh, then what okay. you were reading, the evolution, biology, and extraordinary power part is the subtitle. So if people are looking for it, they can just look for Friendship and my name and they will find it. It's, it's a, I have the book actually right here. In front, and not lost on me, believe me, is the artwork on the book. I, I take time and, and look at this because I, I know um, from other author, author friends that, that I've spoken to, um, so much thought goes into the the cover of the book. And although yours is, you know, you, you wouldn't look at it and go, it's, it's busy, busy. I mean, the friendship bracelets are perfect. The friendship bracelets are perfect. And I don't know if you picked up, but that's a DNA double helix pattern inside the friendship oh, bracelet. I, see, I didn't. Uh, which, which, yes, is a little bit like an inside joke. But the the people who see that are thrilled to see it. And of course, that's the whole idea is that, it's the friendship bracelet plus the biology story that this book tells. Um, so I was very pleased. I thought that the um, the artist who came up with that was very clever. It, very good. It's excellent. It's excellent. Why why study friendship? Um, you know, what is your drive to study friendship from science and biology, uh, the science and biology avenue? It's really what's new about friendship, about how we think about it. The thing about friendship and our friends is that, you know, it's so familiar in a sense that we think we know all about it, and it hasn't always been studied in a very serious way. And I, but one of the things I do as a science journalist is I spend a lot of time out in the world talking to scientists about what they think is um, is important and interesting, and I found that they were all talking about this new side of friendship, about the biology of it, and the fact that there's an evolutionary story to our drive to connect that was really interesting to me and felt like a piece of the story that most people don't don't really appreciate or understand. Um, and Or maybe you've seen some of the headlines that loneliness is mm-hmm. bad for you, but but 
not everybody really understands why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wanted to turn that around and look at the positive sides of of friendship. And, and of course, I was also at a point in my life uh, when I was at the first conference where I was really hearing, getting excited about this idea. I, it was also a little bit of a wake-up call. My, my kids were beginning to leave the house. I was mm-hmm. losing my mother. I was feeling like, you know, I was about to sort of head into a new phase of life. And boy, I better make sure that I had my, my friends lined up and that I had been giving them their their due mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of time and attention. And so I thought it just, it, it felt both personally important and scientifically important. The, uh, we're probably around the same phase of life, and I, I understand that as well. We had uh, a guest on last week or a couple weeks ago, again, a researcher, and he was researching compassion, you know, the science mm-hmm. and biology behind compassion. And it's, it seems like there's this, this tendency now, this trend of taking sort of things that we might intuitively know are good for us and drilling down to why they are good for us. And I, I find that an interesting bent with some of, of the researchers out there, how emotion w- was maybe negated uh, for a long time. And now we're becoming more and more, maybe it's social media, maybe it's this advent that we're all connected. Um, but I, I just find it very interesting how you are all going about this through the scientific back door. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's really important, though, to understand if something has a biological foundation, then that tells you something different about it than if it's purely cultural, say. So a lot of people thought that friendship was cultural. And, and of course, that there are many cultural elements to it. But the, the fact that it shapes your biology and, and changes your, your health and the trajectory of your life is a really important thing to know in addition. And the, the work on compassion is actually part of, to me, it's related to mm-hmm. friendship. In fact, I, I cover some of that in the book because it's part of empathy, what, uh, which is the big umbrella concept, and compassion is one piece of that. And understanding that there's a neuroscience to empathy and that the brain responds, you know, that you can see responses in the brain when somebody is thinking about somebody else's feelings or emotions or situation and and whether they're acting or not um, is fascinating, but also important because it it tells us something more about how we interact. So I think it's not just um, interesting, it's useful to to know when there is um, a deeper story. I I agree. And I think, you know, just going along the vein of where we traveled with the Compassion Avenue, it's a necessary part in our healthcare system that perhaps has been overlooked. Now, you wouldn't say a a doctor-patient relationship is friendship, but extending a type of relationship, whether you want to call it friendship, is very important. Were you surprised by any of your findings, or did you go into this thinking, you know, having an idea and running with it? The biggest surprise was right at the beginning, realizing that there was this, sorry, excuse me, that there was this biology and evolutionary story here, but the, but the, there were interesting bits and pieces that were surprising along the way. I mean, one of the reasons, though, in healthcare, in addition to the ways in which your social connections affect your health, what's what's important in a healthcare setting, for instance, is not just the relationship with the doctor, but whether doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals have a sense of the social support that surrounds a patient. And there's really interesting work showing changes, differences in rates of healing and recovery and stress for patients who have not just, who maybe aren't just married, but have a lot of friends in their lives who can help out. Um, And sometimes single people have said that they don't, they don't get treated the same way um, because people assume that they won't have social support, but actually a single person with a really good friend network has what they need. And so doctors need to understand that that can, that can replace um, having a, a in- close family members around to take care of you or to help um, if you're sick. So that's I'm going off on a tangent, but you made me think of it with the doctor and patient mm-hmm. question. And it's it, 
on the surprising front, just in terms of sort of really cool work, there's this new neuroscience where they are looking inside the brain and figured out that your the way your brain processes the world is more similar to your good friends than it is to people that you're not as close to. And that, in fact, just looking at readouts from a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine, an fMRI, maybe people are familiar with that, mm-hmm. um, you can predict who's friends with who just by looking at the way their brain is responding to video clips and things like that, which is maybe on some levels seems kind of intuitive but on other in other ways to me is profound that you are literally seeing and hearing the world more like your friends than like people that you're not as close to so how are you you're going into this book how the, the the definition of friendship for you did you go in with a hard definition of friendship or did you let this mold you because are we talking about friendships that spouses can you know have with each other or are we outside the family model here oh both so when i started on this i mean as i said i'm a scientist so i'm going and i'm listening to scientists and i'm talking to them about their work and in fact the question of defining friendship was one of the fundamental things that is is at the heart of the story here. It's one of the reasons friendship wasn't studied as carefully as something like um, sexual relationships or mother and infant bonds, because there the biology is more obvious. uh, And friendship is a little squishy. It's harder to define and therefore harder to measure. And science depends on measuring and having variables to compare and outcomes. But what has happened is that the work on, on now that people started um, studying this more carefully, um, it has been, um, they have been able to arrive at a definition, at a kind of more fundamental definition. And one of the things that helped do that was studying friendship and relationships in other animals where you can strip away some of the complexity of human life and you can get down to, you know, what are the consistent traits that a relationship has to have, the characteristics that it has to have. And so at its simplest, a friendship needs three things. It needs to be long-lasting. It needs to be positive, meaning that it makes both individuals feel good. And it needs to have some cooperation and reciprocity to it, so some back and forth and give and take. And in humans, of course, there's more to it. There's trust and loyalty and, and other things as well. But if you've got those three ingredients, you're on your way to a really quality relationship And once you've clarified that definition, it actually sort of both helps you figure out what a good friendship looks like, but it, on some levels, it blurs the lines between romantic relationships and biological, you know, relatives, because if you have those elements of a relationship with your family members or your spouse, then that person is a good friend. But of course, alas, we know that there are family relationships that are not so close uh, or and even that can be toxic. And so you don't have to be good friends with your extended family. With your spouse, we hope you are because then you have a positive and loving relationship that, that feels like a source of support. But um, but not everybody considers their spouse their best friend, and you don't actually have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, friend is a qualitative word that tells you something about the value of the relationship and the and and what it, the tenor tenor and texture of it, and less about the institutional or legal or you know biological connection that you have with someone. What's the timestamp you put on it? You said a particular duration. Are we talking ten years? Are we talking? <laughs> Somebody counted. Um, no, it's in it's in hours, but it's a lot oh. of hours. I think it's a lot of hours. Um, so uh, a researcher at the University of Kansas sort of studied both in students just arriving at campus and adults who had moved into new cities, and he had them sort of he measured how much time they spent with people that they felt that they became good friends with, and it took fifty hours to go from considering someone an acquaintance to a casual friend about 90 hours to consider someone a good friend and 200 hours of time together to consider someone a best friend. But of course, time is not the only piece of it. Time matters because you, even if you like someone from the minute you first meet them, you you have the inclination to be friends and there's chemistry to friendship just as there is to romance. Um, 
often shared interests and worldviews are a big part of it. But you put in the time to sort of deepen the connection and to and to share emotional experiences, and that's what gets you there in the end. Um, but of course, you can also have colleagues that you like enough or you spend a lot of hours with, or maybe you don't like them, but spending hours and hours and hours with someone is not the only piece of it. You can you know, not consider everyone you work with a friend. You maybe don't see them outside of work, and that's fine too. So that's why you need these other elements, the the positive piece, the and the and the help and support that comes with the reciprocity and cooperation. That's very interesting. Um, we're going to take a quick break here, Lydia, and we're going to come back. We'll talk a bit more about the health benefits of friends and and cultivating. And I've got like so many other questions, and I've got the book here with the, the so many ear folds down. Uh, <laughs> so we'll, I'm going to try and jam as much as I can into the next. So we're going to take a quick break here. Okay. Everybody knows heartbreak, isolation But we can lay our burdens down Everybody got worried Everybody knows sorrow Devastation Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're here talking with Lydia Denworth about her new book entitled Friendship, and we're going to get into some uh, of the health benefits. Let's start there. So we kind of glossed over it, Lydia, but what have you found uh, to be the real health benefits of a, of a healthy friendship? Uh, real, a good friendship helps you live longer. And it has, so it, I mean, big picture, it makes you healthier, happier, more successful. It actually extends your life. But specifically, 
either having good, strong friendships or the flip side, being lonely and feeling isolated, can affect all kinds of things in our body. So it affects our cardiovascular functioning. You were talking about heart health at the beginning. It affects that. It affects your immune system and your resilience to disease. It affects your um, cognitive health, your risk of dementia, your mental health, your stress responses, and it even affects the rate at which your cells age. Interesting. Now, the the flip side of this, um, many people don't, okay, do the numbers matter? Let's go that direction. Do the number of friends matter? The biggest difference is between zero and one. <laughs> so okay. if you've got one good friend, you are much, much, much better off than if you don't have any. Um, and quality matters more than quantity. But most people only have about an average of four people in their most inner circle. And that can be kind of split between family and friends. But then you have sort of more concentric circles that, that go out further. And you might maybe you've got 10 or 15 sort of good friends in the next circle and then larger circle of acquaintances and neighbors and colleagues that you like, but, you know, are not as close to, uh, it doesn't, there, well, there are important benefits to having some, a bench, (laughs) I guess Mm -hmm. we could say, to having more than one person. You do get benefits from that. Diversity of relationships affects your resilience to disease. Um, people with, you know, who only sort of interact with the same couple of types of people um, tend to are four times more likely to catch a cold, for instance, than people who interact with six different types of people. And by types, I mean, like colleagues, neighbors, good friends, um, family members, you know, parents, in-laws, things like that. Um, so the quantity matters, but quality matters most. And and the good news is that you really don't have to have heaps of friends. And and people have different styles of friendship, right? The some people really do just want to focus in on one or two relationships and spend quality time with those people. And other people enjoy having bigger social circles and participating in larger social gatherings. And both will work, um, but you've got to have at least one. Well, you know, with friendship, you get you get the, really the two sides of the coin. Some people find that it can be a little bit too much work than they're willing to, you know, to dedicate the time to it. Because you, you did talk about having to cultivate friendships, um, and they do take mm-hmm. time in our, in our busy world. Um, but other people just naturally have a larger group. You know, the, some people just are more sociable. Now, that, and, that, and that is a, an area I wanted to talk about, too. So being sociable in the life of the party doesn't make you in a better position friendship-wise than having your, your, your small bench, does it? Uh, no, not in terms of your health necessarily, except for the part I talked about, about the diversity of relationships. Mm-hmm. Those can have an effect. But, but no, you don't have to be the life of the party at all. Um, in fact, if, you know, there are people who are very social and at big parties, but maybe don't work don't put in the time to have intimate relationships. And by intimate, I don't mean romantic. I mean close, uh, you know, with their friendships. You do have to put in time. Time, I think, is one of the big takeaways here, that it really matters. And yes, it's the thing we don't have a lot of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's one of the things I, I think people should take away from this is to think a little bit about how they prioritize their time and to understand that putting time in with friends really will have a benefit for your health and for their health and um but but how you do that and where you do that uh, is is up to you mm-hmm. the the evolution of friendship is an interesting piece but there's one one part of the book there are two parts um that i that i i quite felt were were uh nice were were touching um and, and the the one sort of that i'll lead into with now is the the area of the book where you sort of cross the lines into social media and deciphering mm-hmm. um, friendships through social media and who are really friends and who aren't really friends. This can be confusing. Um, so how, when you were vetting things out, how did the 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 social media field, you know, you have 5,000 friends on Facebook, but what does that mean? How has this impacted or has it impacted the value of friendship? 
We often think that, for instance, Facebook, where they use the term friend, um, has devalued the word and it's now it's devalued currency. But what I am finding is that people know the difference between an actual friend and a Facebook friend. And there was, in fact, a study asking exactly that. And I forget the exact the the specific result, but it was about 30 to 40 percent of people of actual friends qualified as Facebook friends too, or rather the other way around 30 to 40 percent of Facebook friends were considered actual friends by the people in the study, which I think is interesting. And it points out that really we know the difference between the people with whom we're very close and the people with whom we just have a kind of online Facebook relationship or whatever platform you use for social media. And that is what the research is showing is that even though there's a lot of concern and hysteria even about the effects of social media on well-being in general and on relationships in particular, that's not what the research, and there's a raft of new and important research that's just been done on this in the last year or two, and it is showing that on balance, there are some negative effects to social media use and there are some positive effects, but all of the effects are small and the, the biggest effect is in relationships and it's positive. And what that means is that people who have a bigger network online tend to have a bigger network offline as well. And in fact, you often see this crossover, but a mirror between online and offline lives. And the other thing is that if you use social media as one more channel with which to communicate with the people that you're close to, that strengthens those relationships, those bonds. If you just use, you know, you have a relationship with someone purely on social media, that's a, it is a more limited thing and it can't replace that face-to-face time with the, the people that you're closest to, but it doesn't have to either. It can be a different animal, so to speak. Um, now, and the one thing I will say though is when you are with people in person, you really do need to put down your phone mm-hmm. <laughs> and you need to make eye contact, eye contact primes the social parts of the brain, the communication parts of the brain. And it's different when you're in person, even than when you're looking at someone on Skype or um, and or if you're not looking at a face at all. And so that is really important. And there is a sort of disturbance to connection that happens when we have our phones. And so we need to do better on that. All people in general need to do better. But we can tamp down some of the larger concern about that this is destroying relationships. It's not, actually. There are a lot of ways in which it is helping people to connect in important ways. Mm-hmm. And in the book, uh, I think the, the the girl who did that sort of study where she went to actually see face-to-face those on her Facebook group that would allow her to do it, uh, the, the big ticket that came out of it, as you mentioned, is proximity and yeah. being in, in the same space, not just in the same internet uh, wiring. So that was an interesting piece that I found. And, you know, I honestly, I was in the camp where I thought social media might be pulling away from friendships because... Um, you know, they may not be real, and we spend a lot of time on there. So it's very good to know that, you know, there is a positive impact to this, but we do have to take that next step. Now, uh, another piece of the book that was very touching uh, was about your friend Sarah and the teddy bear. Um, so oh, yes. you, you can go into that too. But I, I think in the in the broader space of it, um, it goes to maybe uh, people that are, are in our stage of life, um, friendships that have lasted a long time and how they evolve and how maybe once you've got that solid friendship, proximity isn't as important um, a tie. Uh, I have a friend that I don't see, you know, maybe one, two years at a time, and I still consider a very, very dear friend. Um, but we really put in the time earlier on. So how do things evolve in that way? And, you know, maybe tell us the story of Sarah. Well, okay, the story of Sarah first is that she was um, my college roommate um, most of the years through college. We met on day two, as we always, well, no, we met on day one. We became bonded on day two, or we liked each other a lot on day two anyway, and then we just started hanging out. And of course, when you're in college, it's easier to rack up those hours of togetherness because other than your schoolwork, you know, you're just mainly hanging out with your friends. Um, And so that is part of why so many 
of our strong relationships are formed when we're young because we got to put in the time and that's, you know, how we, how we um, drew close to people. But what happens as you get older is that sometimes you're exactly right that those relationships can, can carry on with strength, even if you're not in the same place. Uh, and Sarah and I have not always lived in the same city or even the same country for large stretches of time. But you have got that shared history, and that can be very, very valuable. And the thing that happened with Sarah was we had this bond in college, and I wanted to buy her a, a Christmas present. And I went, I was shopping with my father, and he surprised me by helping me pick out a teddy bear. That was what I wanted to give her for reasons I can't really remember, except that my nickname for her was Ted. <laughs> um, and I can't remember why that was either. But <laughs> but he helped me by hugging all these teddy bears in the store and deciding which one was the softest, which was a little bit out of character for him, but very sweet. And then about 15 years later, when I was 31, my father died of a heart attack very unexpectedly on vacation. Um, and Sarah came to the service at my hometown of Philadelphia, and she brought back the teddy bear that my father had helped choose for her. And she said, I think you should have this now. And it was truly lovely and thoughtful. And it felt like things had come full circle in this way that was, you know, it, it, it was marking these moments in our in our lives as friends, but in my life separately, you know, with losing my father. And so, you know, what happens though with those long-term relationships is you can maintain them from a distance, but you do still have to put in some time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you do need to acknowledge that people matter to you. I mean, that's what she was doing by bringing me back that bear she was she was doing, giving me a gift, technically, but it was a gift of, of the value of our relationship, the value of my father's life, that it, by showing up at his service, she was giving me a gift. She was taking notice of something major that had happened in my life. I think showing up is really important. So I think if somebody's far away, you do need to pay attention to Looking for opportunities, though, to at least acknowledge that you're still aware that they're out there and that you care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and sometimes those old relationships do shift and change, and and we're not always as close. I mean, I, I have been hearing from a lot of people when I've been talking about this, that about old relationships where there's a shared history, but that now... Currently, they're maybe draining or, you know, not all positive. And unfortunately, it turns out that ambivalent relationships where there's some good and also some bad are not good for your health. So just because you have shared history does not mean that you have to stay friends forever. And it is important that you continue to have quality in that relationship. So if you if you do have that, then that's great. Um, but there is more, even though friendships need to be long lasting, there's a little bit more fluidity to who is in that inner circle based mm -hmm. on where you are in your life, where you move, where, what kind of work you're doing. What, and, and sometimes we grow apart from friends just as we do from romantic partners. Uh, and that's actually okay. It can be healthy to say this relationship isn't, this friendship isn't serving me anymore. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that as long as you replace that person with somebody who really is giving you all the elements of friendship, the mm -hmm. positive, the cooperative, all that stuff. And most of us have been through those relationships. Sometimes you just kind of got to cut bait and go. Um, yeah, it can be very painful. It can but be. I do think that, um, that understanding that that's okay and that's normal is, um, I hope, helpful for mm -hmm. people. Well, I mean, you want your tribe to be people that are serving you, uh, and, and not yeah. literally, but people that are, yeah. are adding positivity. <laughs> now, we started off the show with you talking about getting to the stage where you, you know, you were interested in friendship because your children were leaving. And um, is, is it, you know, a lot of us think that as we get older, we become rigid and set in our ways. Um, can we develop strong friendships after a certain age? Is that not, um, you know, is that whole area misread? We absolutely can make strong, good new friends at any point in life. And we should. 
but it is true. I mean, there's kind of an interesting, well, two sides to this question. One of the things that's true about people in the later stages of life is that they often do have smaller social circles. They contract a little bit, but it's not always for what for the reasons you think. It's not just that they're losing friends. Sometimes it's intentional because they have actually made that decision to be more thoughtful about who they really want to spend their time with, you know, who matters the most. So that's a positive mm-hmm. um, trend if that's what's going on. On the other hand, it is true that, for instance, when you retire and stop working, that is a major change in your social day-to-day social environment, and it can be very, very isolating. And it, the people who work to replace former workmates with new playmates, if we can call it that, do the best in terms of their healthy aging and successful aging. And so that active effort to connect, to find new people to connect with, whether it's um, often what works best is to find people with shared interests or shared purpose, maybe through volunteering or through uh, church or through an interest like theater or travel or um, something like that, that, you know, rather than just sort of meeting, going to events where you just randomly put in a room and said, oh, you know, here, let's just make friends. I mean, that's not easy to do. And mm-hmm. that's one reason why people say, oh, but, you know, when I'm in an even earlier in adulthood, people say it's too, too hard to make friends. Well, it's not as easy in, in col- as in college where you're confronted with new people all the time. But it is also not impossible if you actually realize it's something that you should get out and try to do. Yeah, I think actively cultivating is an important thing. But too, I, you know, this could be way off and again, more towards the intuition than the science, obviously, because that's not my area. But I mean, our masks are off as we get older. And it's like, this is me, like me, and you attract the yeah. people and it's it's easier than trying to, uh, you know, if you're younger, you want to act a certain way and try and draw a certain group of people. But I think, you know, as you get older, you know, your ways change, your ideas change, and you don't, you know, you're more real. And I think that is a positive to collecting people that are closer to your liking. Um, it's it's a fascinating book. It's a wonderful book. And again, congratulations. I think it's such an achievement to write to write a book. Um, and Thank it is you. out. And where can our listeners find it? Wherever books are sold. Excellent. It's, um, it's, it's everywhere. But, you know, they can, my website, LydiaDenworth.com, will have access to all kinds of ways to get the book and lots of information about me and what I do and about the book. And you can find Lydia on Twitter at, La- at Lydia Denworth, and Facebook is Science Writer Lydia. So those will That's all right. be on the um, podcast when it comes up. Uh, Lydia, thank you uh, for taking the time in your busy, busy schedule of promotion to, to uh, come and talk to us. It's, it's always such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kathy. It was great. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.